Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, we recently did a program you entitled Goldilocks and the Three Wares. Now, that's not Goldilocks and the Three Bears, but the Three Wares. Right. And it was because you discussed three different astronomical phenomena that involve celestial bodies being in what astronomers call the Goldilocks Zone. That's right, Scott, the Goldilocks Zone. The term refers to the idea that the Earth or some other celestial body is in just the right place or zone to support life. I think the more technical term was the habitable zone. Yes, but not as catchy, wouldn't you say? The three celestial bodies in Goldilocks zones that we considered were the Earth in its orbit around the Sun, the moon in its orbit around the Earth, and our solar system in its position in our galaxy. All of those things are precisely where they need to be in order for life to exist on Earth. Goldilocks and the three wares. Well, I admit that's kind of (laughs) clever. I thought so, and I wish I could have taken credit for it, but it was actually my wife's idea. Well, thank you, Karen. Mm -hmm. But, Dr. Scripture, you pointed out to me that there was actually one more ware that you did not have time to discuss in that other program. That's right, Scott. But Goldilocks and the four wares... I wouldn't have had the same ring to it. Nope. And the fourth where that I want to talk about in today's program didn't really fit with the Goldilocks theme anyway. You see, the celestial bodies we're going to talk about are not in just the right place. In fact, according to the evolutionary explanation for the origin of our solar system, they're, in a sense, in the wrong place. Or to put it more accurately, they can't find the place where they're supposed to be. Ah, and what celestial bodies would they be? Comets, Scott. Those beautiful shining stars with glistening tails stretched out behind them as they plummet towards our sun. They swoop towards it, but instead of falling into it, never to return, they are flung back out into space by the centrifugal force between them and the sun, embarking on another journey through our solar system to return again to give another heavenly show. Have you ever seen a comet, Scott? Well, if you mean if I've gone outside and observed one in the night sky. Yeah, right. No, I've never done that. <laughs> well, I've seen a couple. Hail Bop and Hayakutek. Now, I could have seen Halley's Comet because its last appearance was in 1986, but for some reason, I don't remember looking for it or seeing it at all. Well, you might have another chance. Halley's Comet comes around every 75 or 76 years or so, right? Uh, yes. But do the math, Scott. 1986 plus 75 is 2061. (laughs) That's 40 years from now. I'd be well over 100 years old. Uh, And even if I were to live that long, my eyesight would probably be so bad, I wouldn't be able to see it anyway. No, I missed my chance to see Halley's Comet. But like I said, I did see Hale-Bopp and Hayakutek. And no one who saw those two comets will see them again, because Hale-Bopp won't return to Earth for another 4,000-plus years, and the estimates for Hayakutek's return are in the neighborhood of 14,000 years. Wow. The thing is, the fact that any of those comets, or any comets at all actually, exist 
is a conundrum for astronomers who believe our solar system is billions of years old. Because if our solar system is four and a half billion years old, according to the condensation model of star formation, there should be no comets left in our solar system. Mm. Scott, I'm going to give you a math problem. Oh. What is 76 times 100? 7,600. Exactly. Well done. Thank you. How about 4,000 times 100? Uh, let's see. Three zeros plus two. That's five zeros. 400,000. Right again. So now, what's the point? Other than testing my math IQ? <laughs> well, I was just trying to give you a chance to redeem yourself, Scott. <laughs> but that wasn't my point. The point of the numbers you calculated is 7,600 or even 400,000 are way too small a number of years for evolutionists and their proposals for when our solar system was formed. Comets, which are basically dirty balls of ice, are considered to be part of our solar system. They orbit the sun like the planets do, only the shape of their orbit is extremely elliptical rather than circular. They get very close to the sun for a short time, but for most of their orbit, or period as it's called, they exist far away from the sun. Now the reason we can see that beautiful tail of a comet is because while the comet is nearing the sun, its surface is getting blasted away by the cosmic radiation from the sun. The crystals of ice are streaming away from the surface of the comet, and as they do, they reflect the light of the sun, producing that beautiful glowing tail. The thing is, as the surface is stripped away, the comet gets smaller and smaller. Each time the comet orbits the sun, it gets smaller. Now, there have been various calculations made to determine how many encounters a comet could have with the sun before it is diminished to a size too small to detect. But the standard number is approximately 100 orbits around the sun. Now, with a period of 76 years, how long could Halley's Comet exist? Oh, oh, oh I know, I know, I know. <laughs> 7,600 years. <laughs> okay, very good, Scott. <laughs> And even for Hale-Bopp, it couldn't be more than 400,000 years old, which is 10,000 times younger than the supposed age of our solar system, according to evolutionists. So you can see their problem. There should be no comets still orbiting the sun. And yet, there's Halley's Comet returning in 2061. And every other comet, no matter how long of a period they may have, their surfaces all should have been diminished to nothing long ago during the four and a half billion years of our solar system's existence. So, Dr. Scripture, how do the evolutionists explain the existence of comets? Enter Dutch astronomer Jan Oort. Ah. He is the person who in the 1950s proposed the theoretical concept of a cloud of predominantly icy planetesimals surrounding the sun at distances ranging from 2,000 to 200,000 AU. An AU, which is an astronomical unit, is the distance between the Earth and the Sun, about 93 million miles. So, for perspective, Neptune, the planet farthest from the Sun, is 30 AUs from the Sun, about 2.8 billion miles. This theoretical cloud of comets, thousands of AUs from the Sun then, came to be called Oort's cloud. The question today, however, is... Where is Oort's cloud? 
I take it that means we still have not found it? That's right. Evolutionary scientists think they know where it's supposed to be. If you look at pictures of our solar system, you'll see charts, which include Oort's cloud. Really? But there still is no observational evidence of its existence. So I submit to go along with Goldilocks and the three wheres, we have a fourth where, which is, where is Oort's cloud? Well, what kind of explanation is given for not observing it? I mean, don't we have extremely powerful telescopes that are being used to detect planets around other stars in our galaxy that are way further away than even 200,000 AUs? What is that in light years? Good question, Scott. 200,000 AUs is about three light years. The closest star, Alpha Centauri, is about 4.3 light years away. But we've discovered evidence for exoplanets, those are planets outside our solar system, orbiting stars as far as 1,400 light years away. Curious then, isn't it, that we can't find Oort's cloud, which is supposed to be a collection of comets from 0.03 to 3 light years away? But that has not dampened evolutionists from making all kinds of observations, and I use that term loosely, about the Oort cloud. I'm going to read some from NASA's website. You can find this information by going to nasa.com and search for Oort's Cloud. That's spelled O-O-R-T-S. This is from their article entitled Home of Comets, quote, Though long-period comets observed among the planets are thought to originate in the Oort Cloud, no object has been observed in the distant Oort Cloud itself, leaving it a theoretical concept for the time being. But it remains the most widely accepted explanation for the origin of long-period comets. The distance from the sun to the Oort cloud is so enormous that it's useful to describe it not in the more common units of miles or kilometers, but astronomical units. The inner edge of the Oort cloud is thought to be between 2,000 and 5,000 AU from the sun. The outer edge might be 10,000 or even 100,000 AU from the sun. That's one quarter to halfway between the sun and the nearest neighboring star, unquote. Now, there's other information about Oort's cloud in the article, but especially interesting is this, quote, how was the Oort cloud formed? In short, gravity from the planets shoved many icy planetesimals away from the sun, and gravity from the galaxy likely caused them to settle in the borderlands of the solar system, where the planets couldn't perturb them anymore, and they became what we now call the Oort cloud, unquote. So it sounds like astronomers are speculating on how something that we've never seen was formed. That's right. <laughs> Which brings to mind a quote by the late Carl Sagan, the preeminent astronomer at the end of the 20th century. I've read this statement before, which he made back in 1986, but it still applies. Quote, many scientific papers are written each year about the Oort cloud, its properties, its origin, its evolution. Yet there is not yet a shred of direct observational evidence for its existence. Unquote. Now, that's pretty amazing, given that was the year Halley's Comet was last seen, 35 years ago. But the assumption of Oort's cloud continues. Just this year, a new comet headed toward the sun has been discovered. 
On June 24th, 2021, physicsworld.com published this article. The title is, Huge Oort Cloud Object Has Been Spotted Entering the Outer Solar System. Wow, that sounds like they have found Oort's cloud. Well, I'll continue reading. Quote, Astronomers sifting through data from the Dark Energy Survey have spotted a large Oort cloud object approaching the outer regions of the solar system. The discovery has caused ripples of excitement within the planetary science community because of the object's unusually large size. Initial estimates suggest it may be as big as 130 to 160 kilometers across. That's about 100 miles across. Substantially bigger than some of the largest comets. Studying the object could also give researchers insights into an enigmatic process in the solar system, unquote. And by that, they mean, how do comets get out of the Oort cloud and (laughs) plunge toward the sun? But within the article, and at least they do disclose the underlying assumption, it also says, quote, the Oort cloud is a predicted collection of icy objects further away than everything else in the solar system. It fits with the observations of comets in the planetary region of the solar system, but scientists have yet to observe any object in the Oort cloud itself, unquote. So again, I would ask, where is Oort's cloud? Well, Dr. Scripture, I have another where is question. <laughs> What's that, Scott? Well, in the physicsworld.com article, it says astronomers sifting through data from the Dark Energy Survey were the ones who found this new comet. Isn't dark energy something else proposed by evolutionists but not observed? (laughs) Now, that's an interesting question that might be asked like this. Where is the universe? (laughs) But that's a question for another program. But something I take without question is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.